Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. A gorgeous young so-called soccer mom who adores her little girl is found dead in the road, halfway in the street, halfway up on a lawn, with a scene that looks staged, a bottle of absinthe, Delicately placed on her cell phone nearby, she is naked from the waist down. What happened? A neighbor's daughter en route to work finds her there. No clues until now. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. I'm talking about a beautiful young mom lying face down. Next to her, a cell phone with an absinthe bottle placed on top. The mother of one, absolutely stunning. She's a Marilyn Monroe lookalike who is known by her wholesome photos. She places online and posts of her 12-year-old little girl and her husband enjoying really the ideal American lifestyle, the one everybody sees in magazines and thinks is actually attainable. A suburban life where the family's happy, the home is beautiful, and everything is in place there in Alabama, according to all her social media accounts. Well, not all of them. To Alexis Tereschuk joining me, investigative reporter, RadarOnline.com, as we ferret out a big break in the case, what have you learned about this young mom, a Marilyn Monroe lookalike, double life online. You're right. She's a soccer mom. She's beautiful, blonde. And online, she was on a website. You could you had to pay money to access her pictures. And they are naked pictures of her in super sexy poses. There's her from behind. There's her in skimpy bikinis, skimpy bras. And also there are photos of her completely naked, which is fine. Absolutely fine. But a shock for a woman who is a soccer mom and this beautiful, beautiful mom. Alexis, Alexis, I'm a trained observer, Alexis. Okay. You had a long pause before you said, and that's, that's fine. Clearly, what you mean is it's not fine at all. You know, I, I know what I know what I mean when I ha- when I say to my husband, "Fine, fine." Uh huh. That means H E double L is just about to break loose, and everybody better duck. That's what "fine" means. It wasn't fine because she's ended up dead. Police have looked high and low they have sourced through vetted through every clue they could imagine including surveillance video of her at a local store just before she's found murdered what did it reveal alexis tereschuk many people say well how did her husband stand for this her husband knew all about it and he did and he had said that he was fine with it absolutely not to use my word fine, but he said that he he was not at all upset that she was doing this, that she did these pictures at all. But it's such a dangerous thing to put out there, something that's so intimate about you when you have a child and it's out on the internet and people can find you. So many bad things can happen. There are so many predators out there and people that are going to take things the wrong way. Well, this is what we know about what he said to neighbors and friends and conversations with friends He's kind of a heavyset, balding father, uh, insisted the death, his wife's death, was purely an accident and that he never had a problem with his wife's online activities. She's bringing him money by posting nude photos. Okay, in the last hours, we learn an arrest has been made. What went down, Alexis? So police showed up five weeks ago. She was found dead on the side of the road. And as you said, it looked staged. Somebody had to have done that. Her cell phone next to her, no clothes on from the bottom down. Police had said nothing in those five weeks. They haven't put out anything which was a, you know, we're looking for a suspect or anything like that. They went and they arrested the husband, Jeff West. They hauled him off to jail for her murder. Jeff West now in custody uh, in the last hours, just before he was arrested, he spoke apparently to a, a friend who states that Waters, in great length, 
said that his wife's death was a, quote, terrible accident because of, quote, excessive alcohol consumption. In other words, she died from excessive alcohol consumption. That's what he's saying. Well, that's not what police are saying today. With me, forensics expert Joseph Scott Morgan, professor of forensics, Jacksonville State University, Alexis Terezchuk, investigative reporter with RadarOnline.com, forensic psychiatrist Dr. Daniel Bober, Troy Slayton, renowned defense attorney out of the California jurisdiction, to Joe Scott Morgan, you're the forensics expert. What do we know was the cause of death? Uh, they're calling this uh, Nancy uh, cause of death as blunt force trauma to the head. And uh, they've classified this, in fact, uh, the manner as a homicide. You know, I'm looking right at the crime scene right now. Uh, the forensics team out there working. And it was it's really interesting. I'm looking at it, Joe Scott, and I'm trying to determine what clues we can garner from this. She is very near her own front yard. And she's half clothed, half naked. She... I think did have some alcohol in her system, but she had blunt force trauma to the head. Now, I wonder if the police are alleging he, the husband, set this up to look as if she had been uh, hit by a car or if she stumbled and fell on the, uh, the curb. This is one of those streets in a suburban neighborhood that actually has a little, there's no sidewalk, but there is a cement curb along the sides of the street on the other side is the grass is he trying to set it up to look like she hit her head on that and blaming the booze is that what police are alleging joe scott morgan you know i don't i'm i'm assuming that that that's uh, the the road they're trying to go down uh you know looking at this thing nancy i was thinking you know what what in proximity to her body could have generated this kind of event and i'm thinking the curb uh to a certain degree uh, if it was, you know, a, a motor vehicle strike, uh, she would have multiple, multiple injuries to her body. Of course, we don't, they haven't released specifics. Well, we don't, yet, I don't, oh, hold, hold, hold on. I'm, I'm just a, a JD, you know, uh -huh. you, you're the expert in crime scenes, but if you are hit by a car, say in the shins and you fall over and hit your head on a curve like that. Hold on, Joe Scott. I'm pulling rank on you. With me, forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Daniel Bober, who is, of course, not just a psychiatrist, but also an MD. You have to be an MD, a medical doctor, and then specialize in psychiatry, or at least that's what all the psychiatrists tell me. Um, Dr. Bober, listen to this. I want, if you can, answer the, the hypothetical I posed to Joe Scott. Could she have been hit by a car and hit her head on that cement curve? And also, this is freaky, very freaky. Uh, friends have come forward and anonymously stated that the husband knew his wife was, let me just say, an online seductress. And he, quote, got off on the idea that she was desired by hundreds, if not thousands of men, but that he was her husband. That's an odd theory to me, Dr. Bober. Nancy, yeah, you know, I think it's certainly possible, but I think someone being struck by a car, you would look for a certain pattern of injuries uh, that you wouldn't see if someone just fell down and hit their head on a curb. So I think it would probably be easy to distinguish those two depending on the speed of the vehicle uh, when the vehicle hits the individual. So what about this theory that the husband secretly loved the fact that she, of her antics online? Well, maybe he, you know, resented her after a while, or maybe he became jealous. It's very hard to know. Take a listen to what police are saying at this hour about the arrest of the so-called Kitty Cat Club founders. Arrest. The Calir Police Department has made an arrest in the Kathleen West murder investigation. Jeffrey William Jeffrey West, the victim's husband, has been arrested and charged with the murder. On January 13th at around 05:10 a.m., the Calir Police Department was dispatched to the 100 block of Greenwood Circle uh, on a partially nude female lying in the road. 
The victim, Kathleen West, suffered from blunt force trauma to the head and was pronounced deceased at the scene. Uh, the Clear Police Department conducted a thorough investigation. We had the assistance of various local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies. Evidence was collected and processed from various different sources. Uh, we received our last and final piece of uh, evidence report from the Department of Forensic Science the day before yesterday. Uh, the case and all evidence was reviewed by the Shelby County District Attorney's Office and was screened at the Shelby County Magistrate's Office to obtain the warrant for Mr. West's arrest. Straight back out to investigative reporter Alexis Terezchuk. Alexis, I'm looking at wedding photos. He is in his full dress uniform from the military. He's got a lot of stripes on his arm. I don't know what it all means. She's gorgeous you know she uh, from the side she looks like pam anderson with her hair up jack you look at this photo of them how happy they look and i'm just i don't understand how everything went so sideways here she is with her little girl looking absolutely she does it like a marilyn monroe look alike you can see she's got on a sports bra or a workout she was found wearing nothing but a sports bra so if this is a murder not only did he murder her but then left her to be found in that condition, naked except for a sports bra. Alexis, what more do we know about their marriage and their life and about the husband? Well, he was, you said in his uniform, he was a U.S. military police officer. He was also a guard, a security guard at the local university, Birmingham Southern University, a great school. And he, though, was so suspicious after she was murdered, well, I say murdered, but that's what the police are saying, because he did not invite anyone. He only invited very, very, very few close friends and family to her funeral. You would think this beautiful woman probably has a million friends and all the children that her daughter's friends with their parents would want to come and all of her family members. He wouldn't invite anybody. He was completely silent about this. And, you know, there was video that was found of the two of them the night before she was found and they were in a convenience store buying booze and she looked so happy They she was, she picked up that absinthe, but she looked, they were together. People see them that they're laughing and they're flirting. He pats her on the bottom. It looked like this very flirty relationship and it looked really very happy until she died. And then People said he became very suspicious the way he wouldn't even talk about it. He wouldn't say anything to his friends about her and just kept everything very quiet. You no, know, I want to go back to Dr. Daniel Bober uh, about this analysis. But first, to Troy Slayton, renowned defense attorney out of the California jurisdiction. Troy, the reason I was asking earlier about could she have been hit by a car which made her stumble over and hit her head? Could she have been inebriated and fall over and hit her head on that curb, that cement curb that I'm seeing? And you know what I'm talking about? I would say it's about a four to six inch cement um, barrier between the street and the grass and everybody's lawn. It's a beautiful neighborhood, big homes, perfect yards, shrubs, the work works and i'm asking because as you know troy whenever i would try a case i would not only prepare my case but i would prepare to attack the defense theory and very often i wouldn't even know what the defense theory was really going to be until opening statements and they could even change after opening statements like in tot mom the theory was um oh you know the grandfather george anthony really is the one who got the baby out of the pool and hit her body. Okay, well, you never heard another word about that during the trial. So things change. What you have to do is anticipate what you think the defense may do and prepare to shoot it down the minute it happens. That's why I was asking, plus I, I actually legitimately want to know, Troy, could she have hit her head on this cement barrier? That's what, I mean, it's only like four or five inches tall, but could it be? So... Where do you go from here, Troy? And analyzing it as a trial lawyer really only can do. What do you think they must have against him in order to bring charges? Well, one thing I know is that in a case like this, normally the parents of the deceased 
want the right person caught and convicted. And here, both the suspect, her husband's parents, and her very own parents don't think that he was the one that did it. And what's really interesting is that this woman who was leading a double life, on the one hand, a beautiful suburban soccer mom, and had an entire online presence where people paid to see her naked in her other life known as Kitty Cat West, there are thousands of potential suspects all over the world who could have had an unhealthy obsession with her, who wanted to do things to her or could have possibly been involved in her death. Well, as a matter of fact, take a listen to what Jeff West the husband of this Marilyn Monroe soccer mom lookalike, what the, his father, William West, has to say. Listen. Pissed off. Because I know they screwed it up. And they're trying to blame somebody. And they told him it was circumstantial evidence, and they say they got proof. They don't know what they got. Straight back to Joseph Scott Morgan, forensics expert. Joe Scott, that's what I would expect his mom or dad to say that they don't have any proof but they've got to arrest somebody so they arrested my son oh yeah you know obviously they're going to say that they're going to deflect to that position but let's let's keep in mind uh we as alexis stated earlier we got videotape of them being together that night in a liquor store purchasing not just absinthe but also jameson irish irish whiskey uh we've got them uh, you know yucking it up it's a date night so you're thinking okay well it's a date night somebody's got to be watching uh their child uh they're together alone so unless something just absolutely mysterious little green men descended out of the heavens um these two people will have been together and he potentially is going to be the last person that ever saw her alive and that's what investigators are going to be looking at and pressing him really hard over to Alexis Terezchuk, investigative reporter, writer online. What more do we know? Well, we know that he, as Troy Slayton was saying, his parents were defending him. Well, I don't know how they can defend him when he wasn't allowing anybody to do anything about this beautiful wife that he was so-called warning, but he, he was hiding after she was found dead. He wouldn't let anybody except a very small group of people come to this funeral and he was telling his friends that it was a boozy accident. So that's a confession to me. And whether boozy accident falls under the terms of murder, obviously the police think it did because they arrested him. What do you believe at this point to Dr. Daniel Bober is the evidence they have against him? Of course, I'm sure they've searched his cell phone, his laptop, his iPad, all of his devices, his social media but what could it be that now leads to an arrest of the husband? Well, you know, it's interesting, Nancy. Uh, it seems purely circumstantial at this point. But, you know, you mentioned something about absinthe in the beginning of the conversation, which is a potentially toxic compound when mixed with alcohol. But I guess they don't think that that's the cause of death. But anyway, there must be other communications between the husband and the wife that maybe we don't know about, whether it's texting or social media. Uh, because it just seems that at this point, with all they have, it just doesn't seem to be anything more than circumstantial at this point. Why do you say that? I mean, uh, Troy Slayton, people say it's only circumstantial evidence, like, you know, they're sp having a dirt sandwich. Circumstantial evidence under the law. In fact, juries are instructed. Circumstantial evidence is just as powerful as direct evidence. There can't be direct evidence in every single case. There's not always an eyewitness or a video or DNA. Sometimes you just have to figure it out, this isn't a run-of-the-mill case, Nancy. If this was just a regular murder investigation, then why are the FBI, why is the DEA also involved in the investigation? Obviously, there are other factors. And yeah, a circumstantial evidence case can be okay, but jurors are also instructed that in a circumstantial evidence case, if there are two reasonable interpretations to the evidence, one pointing to innocence and one pointing to guilt, they must adopt that theory which points to innocence. 
Joseph Scott Morgan, forensics expert, wants in. Joe Scott, what what do you think regarding the blood evidence? I think that this is going to be key, Nancy. We're talking about a head injury here. Uh, we rem- if you remember back, they were they were referring to a head injury when we first initially reported on this case that there was blood trickling from her head. Well, it turns out that this isn't just a little blood. There was a huge puddle of blood at the scene. This is what I think. When the police are going over there, and keep in mind, they've played this very close to the vest, Nancy. We have to determine, or they have to determine, where this initial event took place. They're going to be looking for blood trails outside of the house, through the grass, on the, on the pavement. And if, in fact, he attacked her, within that house, there will be a bevy of blood evidence inside of that house. Head injuries bleed profusely. So this is one of the things, you have a pool of blood, this is gonna come from the settling and her in kind of the final throes of life, maybe if she was dumped there, but somewhere out there, there is a copious amount of blood that has been generated uh, from this attack. Uh, if And remember, the police are calling this a homicide. They're not saying that this is an accident, Nancy. They're saying that she was homicidally attacked. So that gives me an indication that potentially there is some kind of instrumentality that is involved in this event. I'm wondering what they're finding inside of that house at this point in time. Take a listen to this. At what point did Jeff West become a suspect in this? He was, he was a suspect in the very beginning. Do you believe that her online Um, I think her online profession or activities um, certainly warranted a lot of attention. It gave gave the attention to this case. What do you think um, the motive was? Uh, I, I can't. Um, let me let me say this. Um, we are still restricted, very restricted, on what information that can be given out. The case is still under investigation, even though we have made an arrest, but. Uh, the case has to go to trial as well. So, um, you know, information that, that is given out can still uh, hinder the investigation as well as uh, the prosecution. Can you, say, can you say in any way how he was linked to Herbert, how he decided that you were going to make this arrest? Uh, we did collect a lot of evidence. Uh, again, a lot of evidence was, was processed, and evidence takes time to process. And, um, you know, we have to wait on that evidence to, to come in so we can, you know, connect all the dots. But again, giving out any specific evidence would be, uh, could, could potentially hinder the, the prosecution and on you that. You said blood force trauma also. Do you know how exactly, I guess, maybe what led to that blood force trauma? We do. Um, we do have. We, we know exactly what happened for the most part on this this case. I mean, I, we can't tell you what verbatim what what was being said one way or the other, but we know what happened that night. Um, we do have evidence to support that, but again, providing that evidence may hinder that prosecution. Let me thank our partner making our program today on Sirius XM 132 and our investigation possible. It's Legal Zoom. And right now, small business, big hot topic, National Small Business Month at LegalZoom, perfect timing. Whether you're just starting or you already have a business, 2018 presents incredible opportunities. Why? New tax laws, including the single biggest changes for business owners in the last 30 years have gone down. LegalZoom helps you understand what that means to you. It could change the face of your business. LegalZoom, not a law firm. They are a nationwide network of independent lawyers and important tax professionals who can answer your questions and tap into resources to help you run your business. They use 16 years of experience to give you business owners the tools you need to start and run your business the right way every day. Over the next weeks, find out how LegalZoom can help you during National Small Business Month. Don't miss this. Check out LegalZoom.com today. Special savings if you enter code NANCY, N-A-N-C-Y, in the referral box at checkout. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. LegalZoom.com, thank you for what you do 
for business owners and those who aspire to start their own business every day and for being our partner here on SiriusXM 132. Back to Alexis Terrestrial, RadarOnline.com investigative reporter. Where is the husband now? He is in jail. Police arrested him. He is being held in jail. And one thing about this case is, you know, they went out. They were seen that night at the liquor store buying the booze. She wasn't found until the next morning about 7 a.m. It's not like something happened. She disappeared and he called 911 to report her missing, even though she was just outside. He was just inside the house and didn't say anything about her being dead and naked on the lawn across the street. So he was suspicious from day one. And the police, they took their time. Five weeks they spent. He had a funeral for her. He still lived at home, took care of their daughter. And then they arrested him, took him to jail, and he, there's no bail for him. Now, here's the thing. By this act, if he did it, not only is his wife gone, but the daughter is left without a mother and the father has been arrested. For those of you just joining us, uh, a gorgeous Marilyn Monroe lookalike, for real, soccer mom, also an online, let me just say, model. Kathleen West has been found dead in the early morning hours, half naked. All she had on was a sports bra in the street by her home in a very ritzy suburb in Alabama. Online, she was known as Kitty Cat and head of the so-called Cougar Club. She was what they call an exhibitionist. Because of her Marilyn Monroe resemblance, she made a lot of money on a private site where she had sexy photos. Uh, Some of them she might have on a corset, some underwear, some a sports bra, some she was naked. And a lot of people would pay a lot of money to go on the website. Well, in the last hours, an arrest has gone down after a lot of speculation that one of her so-called customers sought her out and found her and murdered her. Her completely unassuming-looking husband has been arrested. Jeff West, a former military member of the military, decorated military member, and now a campus security guard at Birmingham Southern College, is behind bars. He's behind bars without bond. Now, that's the very latest. I don't know where the little girl is. I don't know who has her. I don't know how she's being raised. Is she in foster care? I know this. The rest of her life is going to be different now. Her mom is gone, which is hard enough. By now, her dad has been arrested for murder. Why? Why would he take her life? All we can do is speculate. You may jump to the conclusion, wow, he found out about her online persona. Well, he knew about it and told a lot of people he actually enjoyed it. Uh, But was there more to it? Was there a divorce brewing? Uh, Had she met somebody else online? In the end, nothing changes. Doesn't matter why she was murdered. What matters is she was found not only dead, but virtually naked, out on the street in front of their home. Troy Slayton, this could very well be a death penalty case. It could be if he was lying in wait or if there was some sort of special circumstance involved in the case. But I think Alexis Terezcek really made the case for the defense. It is so dangerous for somebody to put themselves out online where they are showing themselves naked, taking subscriptions from men and possibly women from all over the world, it puts her and her family in a very dangerous situation. And here, it took the FBI and the DEA over five weeks to make an arrest in this case. So that means this isn't cut and dry. They had to cobble together Little Do you even know what cut and dry means, Troy Slayton? If it do was you cut know and where dry, that comes Nancy, from? they would have made an arrest immediately. No, do you know what cut and dry even means? No, you don't, city boy. Those of us who enjoyed <clears throat> picking vegetables from the fields, coming home and cleaning it, and then eating it cut and dried means it's all done. Cut and dried. You've picked it. You've cut it. You've washed it. You've dried it. 
Now it's time to cook it and eat it, is my understanding. Okay, city boy, Troy Slate, go ahead with your story. If it was cut and dried, as you explained. <laughs> I see you chose to ignore my... <laughs> as, if go it ahead. was, as you described, that easy, that simple, that methodical, then it wouldn't have taken five weeks. This is a woman, Kitty Cat West, as she was known online in her uh, seductress uh, pseudonym, put herself out for the entire world to see, attracting men, trying to get men to be involved with her online in all types of social media, putting her entire family at risk, and then got boozed up and something terrible happened. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's where you lose me. You know, defense attorneys always do this. They take you... I've, I've had so many witnesses. Uh, Dr. Daniel Bober, forensic psychiatrist, I'm going to throw this to you. I'd have a witness in the car at the scene of the murder, and they lead me all the way to the garden gate, and then there comes the moment of the gunfire. And I went, well, who did the shooting? And they go, oh, I don't know. I, you know, I turned and looked out the window at that moment. I'm like, you're in the car. You hear gunfire and you don't look over to see it. No, uh-uh. I was, reading a mar- I, was, I was reading a sign by the interstate when that happened. You know, it's just, here he goes. Troy Slayton leads me up to the moment. She's this, she's that, she's awful. She gets boozed up and then something happens. Isn't that a little vague right there at the end, Dr. Daniel Bober? Well, Nancy, that's where the reasonable doubt comes in. So there's still other explanations, other credible explanations as to what happened here. It still seems pretty vague at this point. Really? Like what? What other credible explanation is there? Like the thousands of people online that were watching her, as the attorney said, could have, one of them could have developed some kind of erotic obsession with her and taken her out. It's very possible, and it's not you know, uh, that far of a stretch of the imagination. Right. So you think that's more likely than her husband gets sick of her stripping online and kills her? Okay. Well, I guess that's a personal preference or difference, but this is what I know. The local police department had four detectives assigned to the homicide investigation, two of them working on not a single other case. The chief of the PD said they interviewed dozens and dozens of witnesses submitted volumes of evidence for testing, testing, Joe Scott Morgan. This is where you come in. Analysis of a final piece of evidence, a mystery piece of evidence, was returned from the Department of Forensic Scientists, Sciences in the last 24 hours. And based on that piece of evidence, the case was submitted in its entirety to the Shelby County DA's office A lot of evidence was collected. It took weeks to process it all. And based on that piece of evidence, Joseph Scott Morgan, they indicted. I think this rests in one of two locations, Nancy. We're talking about the critical evidence. I think that it's either going to be a weapon or, here's a big one, I think it's going to come back to that phone that was found outside of the residence sitting on that curb. I think that they're being very, very careful here. They're watching the movements of these individuals. And nowadays, no one goes anywhere without their phone. If if they're anticipating that this guy is going to say that someone took this woman off somewhere and then brought her back and dumped her inside of that house, um, I think that they want to make sure that every single step, every single electronic footprint is in place before they come forward with an indictment. And I think that that's what they've done. Take a listen to this. This is a tragedy. Um, there is a victim. This victim does have family. Um, there is also a offender that has family. It's a tragedy all the way around for everybody involved. And, uh, you know, from day one, we hit, this gr- hit the ground running on this case and gave it 100% effort. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we had detectives working on this case. Uh, there was four detectives from our department signed to this investigation, two of which this was all they did um, every day. That's, this is all they did. This is all they worked on. So there's a lot of effort that's gone into this case. And there's, there's been a lot of assistance involved in this case. Uh, I would like to take this as an opportunity to thank the cities of Alabaster and city of Pelham, uh, Department of Forensic Science, as well as various federal agencies 
you know, I, I can sit here and name off more than a half a dozen of agencies that has assisted us from day one in this investigation. And it was a collaborative effort by everybody uh, to bring closure to this case. At the time of arrest and has he confessed to this crime? Um, as of my last knowledge of this, he has not confessed to the crime. Has, has he been cooperative? Uh, I, I don't really know how to answer that. So um, it's not that uh, he has not been uncooperative, but, um, you know, I would say, I guess somewhat. Uh, you know, I really don't know how to answer that question. What would you do to kill him? What kind of what kind of weapon? I'm sorry. Can you tell us what kind of instrument weapon? I can't. No, sir. I'm sorry. Uh, all I can tell you is blunt force trauma to the head. Chief, the majority of your homicides are domestic. Um, I know the last couple have been. What were the challenges that made this one a little different? Because previously, you know, you've announced an arrest within a day of the other domestic homicides. So right. What was different about this? Well, the differences involved in this case uh, is, is the victim's location, uh, where she was located. She was outside of the home. Uh, typically, when you have domestic, you know, it's typically going to be within side of the residence. Um, this was outside the home across the street. Uh, the fact that she was partially nude um, is, is one of the, you know, challenges uh, that brings in a lot of other questions involved in this case. Who found her? I'm sorry? Who found her? Uh, I was a passerby motorist. So then your response to the fact, because in that video, they certainly seem like a happy couple. Uh, and so for a police less than 12 hours later, they're still together. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, let's say 24 hours later, for it to go to this level. Your response to that? Uh, it's domestic. Um, I mean, unfortunately, domestics turn bad very quickly. And anything can trigger them, you know. So, I mean, most of us in this room have a spouse, so, you know, we, they can, you get into an argument, it, it can change very quickly. Have you ever had any other interactions with the couple before? Uh, not that I'm aware of. So to your knowledge, there was no history of domestic violence that was reported to your department? That's correct. What was it like? acted alone. Sorry? You believe he acted alone? Yes. That's correct, yes. Uh, you know, it, it didn't seem to be, the times that I've seen him didn't seem to be very upset. So. Is that unusual to you? I mean, I guess you can get different readings from different people. Um, you know, I guess people take things differently, so I, I mean, I kind of hard, hard for me to say it would be unusual especially in our line of work, because what's unusual to most people is, you know, we see, we see a lot. Chief Limley says there are very few details he can release right now about what led up to the homicide. What sp specifically made the husband, Jeff West, the number one suspect? Here's his quote. We know exactly what happened that night, and we do have evidence to support that. You know what? We can fight about it till the cows come home. But somewhere right now, that 12-year-old little girl doesn't have a mother or a father. You know, there's always stuff being dumped in this ditch. To think something like that had happened was kind of strange. I don't know what type of person could do a thing like that. It's hard to comprehend. I mean, I wouldn't know why anybody would, you know, abandon two little babies like it. A rabbit hunter was on a country road in northeast Arkansas in the afternoon when he makes a very, very grisly discovery. He sees a purple suitcase, and he heads down to it. It's in a roadside ditch with no identification on it. There's can't really tell how long the suitcase had been there. He opens it up and finds the bodies of two newborn twins. Twin babies found in a purple suitcase, a scruffy suitcase, at the bottom of a roadside ditch in Arkansas. I'm looking at the ditch right now, and it's full of muddy water, 
you would not want to walk down in there. I don't know what propelled this rabbit hunter to actually go down in the ditch and get the suitcase. I would have just left it. But something told him, urged him, propelled him to go down and get the suitcase. Law enforcement in Arkansas are now investigating the bodies of newborn twins discovered in a suitcase by a hunter. It was a ditch near County Road 602 in Wynn around 2 p.m., according to Cross County Sheriff's Office. And they say, of course, they're not medical examiners, but they say the children appear to be twins. The autopsy has been completed. Joining me right now, veteran California prosecutor Wendy Patrick, forensic psychiatrist Dr. Carol Lieberman, author of a brand new book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Keep Your Child Safe. It's on Amazon. And with me, professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University, Joseph Scott Morgan. To Wendy Patrick, Wendy, you're analyzing this i'm going straight to you because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt not a reasonable doubt but beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is a crime because if children die in childbirth that's one thing but why would they be locked in a suitcase and thrown down into a ditch full of muddy water Yeah, absolutely, Nancy. We're looking at a cover-up is the very first word that's going to come to everyone's mind. Cover-up of a crime. I've prosecuted cases where mothers have attempted to dispose of newborns. I know you might have, too. It's one of those scenarios that is horrifying to a judge and jury to think that anybody's capable of this. But we know that they are, and this case could be in that category. It is so strange, and I, I love that you've pointed out It's so random that somebody would have gone down to investigate, but the hand of God probably on that hunter told him to go there and look. Now we start moving backwards and attempting to trace where that suitcase came from. It may be a painful process, but as we start looking in retrospect where whose suitcase it was, who was in the area, any kind of eyewitness audio video footage, this is the kind of case that can be solved before it goes cold if we jump on it right away, as the authorities are doing. Santia Wallace, who lives nearby, heard the news and was in tears and shaken up. This is what she tells local station WREG. When I left work this evening, I was shaken up. Like, I was in tears. Here I am, one and a half kids. And for you to, like, kill them? Like, who does that? You could have taken them to the fire station. You know, something like that. You don't have to kill no kids. If you have information, tip line 870-238-5700. Joe Scott Morgan, right now, the autopsy has just been completed. What do we know so far? Well, they're not really giving up a lot of information. What we do know, what they're releasing, is that it appears that uh, these two little babies were uh, were premature. They're thinking probably a gestational age of about 32 to 34 weeks, which would make them uh, ballparking at roughly six to eight weeks premature. Uh, don't know anything right now at this moment about identification or uh, about what might have brought about their death. If it was an in utero death, or if some, if they, you know, if they came came to some kind of grisly end following birth, uh, there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of questions that are going to need to be answered. Uh, we were just discussing this idea that. Um, that uh, being able to identify these children, and that's really where where we're going to start. And a lot of that's going to start, Nancy, in two places. First off, with this suitcase, because it will be distinctive. We already know that it's purple. Uh, Are there any identifiers on it, any kind of markings on it that would tie it back to someplace? And this is the one troubling thing that I'm thinking about here, Nancy, is that uh, the suitcase, as you well mentioned, was immediately adjacent to a ditch. I'm looking at the pictures as well. Through the south, there have been uh, a number of really strong thunderstorms over the past week. It is not beyond uh, possibility here that uh, that this the suitcase could have traveled down this ditch 
some distance, maybe came out of a creek, you never know. And that's something that you have to also, as an investigator, explore going back upstream. What's the point of origin of this? Or did somebody just merely toss it out of a car as they're driving across the bridge? The way I'm looking at, at, at the bridge, I see, I don't even know if it could handle a car. I guess it could. It looks like it's um, a steel enforced bridge but it looks more like a gully or a ditch and it leads me to believe it is someone local because who else is going to know about this ditch it's like off the side of a road as far as i can see and regarding the autopsy that finds the infants believed to be twins had a gestational age of about 32 to 34 weeks that's six to eight weeks premature well that doesn't mean that they were born stillborn uh, my twins were had just gotten one day into the 31st week. They were at 31 weeks. Um, wait, no, no. Yeah, no, it was the first day into 32 weeks, as I recall. And, and they were born alive and not totally well. We're in NICU for a long time, but that does not mean they were born stillborn. And that is also a very simple test to determine were they uh dead upon birth were they stillborn or were they killed afterward how do you do that joseph scott morgan well yeah uh, obviously one of the first things we're going to look at is uh you know we've talked about this in in the in the past relative to what's referred to as a float test uh kind of grisly here but one of the things that we do at autopsy is take a look at the lungs to see in fact have they are they fully inflated? Have they inhalated air? You know, after you know, after the child is born, is air taken in? Are the lungs expanded? And you're right, Nancy. These children are well within the parameters for a viable birth. And what that means is that they're within those parameters where they could have sustained life outside of the womb. Uh, so we can't just assume, in fact, that they were stillborn. And that's that's going to be one of the big questions that the Arkansas State Medical Examiner is going to be taking a look at in this case. Uh, uh, you know, as they kind of go down their checklist, uh, they're going to look at things like uh, uh, physical anomalies, obviously. And then they're going to go down the, the checklist looking at any, and I mean any, kind of trauma that these children may have sustained either during the birth process, which is a traumatic event, or after birth where harm could have been put upon these two little angels. Right now, police probing the cause of death of newborn twins. Their little tiny bodies found in a purple suitcase discarded along a roadway in a ditch. The autopsy reveals the babies were premature and they believe one of the babies was a little girl. You know, to Dr. Carol Lieberman, forensic psychiatrist, author of a new book on Amazon, Dr. Carol, uh, a parent's love has been described like this. Um, if your child wants a treat, do you give it a scorpion? No. You try to give your child their heart's desire to make them happy out of love, out of self-sacrificing love, because they are more important to you than you are. I just can't imagine someone putting these children, these babies, infants, newborns, into a suitcase and flinging them into a ditch, Dr. Carol. Yes, it's really, uh, it's really very painful to imagine um, you know, the fact that there is, you can come up, because so little is known about it, you can come up with all kinds of scenarios. Um, you know, first of all, the fact that it's a purple suitcase, that it, that would typically be a woman who would have a purple suitcase, not a man. But that doesn't mean that a man wasn't involved if it was something that happened after birth in some kind of violence that caused the death of the children. For example, uh, domestic violence. You know, a lot of times men who are perpetrators of domestic violence particularly do this when the woman is pregnant. So perhaps there was a man involved who pushed her down the stairs or kicked her or, you know, something, and these babies were born prematurely and then um, they didn't want to get in trouble and so they put them in a suitcase. I mean, you, know, you can kind of come up with a whole bunch of different things, um, but at least, you know, I would imagine that the DNA would be of help as well in terms of um, if someone was in the, the, if the DNA is on file for some reason, 
um, that would, of course, help them to find who the parents were as well. DNA, of course, uh, Wendy Patrick, California prosecutor, she's right. If you try to take the infant's DNA, you've got to have something to compare it to the mother or the father, or if there's familial DNA in that jurisdiction, uh, has to be in the system. You've got to have something to compare it to to make a match. Uh, there could be DNA on the suitcase, Wendy. That's right. And, you know, boy, you talk about the ultimate precious cargo, talking about this being found in a suitcase. Yes, that's the first place you're going to look once, as uh, as has been pointed out. You're going to try to figure out whether the child, whether the children were born alive or not. The DNA trail sometimes just leads to frustration if, as you say, Nancy, we don't have anybody to compare it to. But these are the kinds of cases that we don't want to grow cold. So we can continue and you know, who knows what DNA might become on file uh, as a case moves forward. We've seen many cases where you get a DNA hit far after the fact because somebody else comes into the database that may be one of these you know it's too early to know yet but you know the very first order of business no doubt is going to be trying to figure out not only how those children died but where did they come from who did they belong to and then of course we'll move to motive once we get some more clues well obviously whoever gave birth knows about this uh, because nobody has been reported missing infant children infant twins have not been reported missing in the area so what does that say to you joseph scott morgan well you know i I gotta tell you something makes me feel as though that that they really need to take a look at young young women young girls Uh, i've seen this kind of play out before where you'll have uh say a hidden pregnancy which boy twins would be very hard to to hide at that point there should be somebody that would know something Uh, if you have a young unwed mother that has no desire to have a baby uh, uh, this might be a quick way to dispose of the child's of the children's bodies Uh, this is something that i would look at but just so our listeners understand, we're talking about DNA. You're right. It is many times frustrating and a dead end when it comes to trying to marry DNA found at a scene or, or DNA off of a known or an unknown body back to the database because there are essentially two databases. There's databases of known offenders, and these are very specific. And then we have what's referred to as a forensic database, and that's unknown perpetrators that are out there that have committed horrible crimes and yeah i think that it's worth a look we could take that dna and plug it into the system and see if there's a hit either mom or dad or familial dna you never know what's going to be out there but right now uh we're kind of uh in the infant stages of of uh, development of a significant database relative to dna we also know this the location according to neighbors quote we have cars that drive through drive through here all the time but it's pretty quiet road because we're outside of town that's why we chose to live here so this is an out of the way roadway outside of town which means you narrow it down to who knew about this location the tip line 8702385700 this is what i don't want as a prosecutor i saw Every day, cases pled down or treated more lightly when the victim was a child or an infant. Why is that? I don't know. Their life is just as valuable as an adult's, but it happens. These are not statistics. This is a real case with real infant twins. And I'm reminded of my twins when they were so helpless and just born. They were so fragile, I was almost afraid to hold them. Now all they have is us and the justice system to be their voice. Tip line 870-238-5700. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. <laughs>